0: John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was close beside God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, He was close beside God. All things came into existence through Him. Not one thing that exists came into existence without Him. Life was in Him. And this life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. It's John the Apostle that is writing these words. I want to remind us that John is that Galilean fisherman that was invited by Jesus to follow him. And he was invited with his brother James. The two of them were called the sons of thunder John is that beloved disciple, especially as you read through this gospel, it talks about a beloved disciple, a disciple that was closer to Jesus. There were these circles of intimacy around Jesus from this one beloved disciple that was the closest to the three that were closest to the rest. And this John, John is the one that sat at the shoulder of Jesus during the Last Supper. It's John that Jesus entrusted his mother to from the cross. He's one of the 12. And then I would remind you that, that even though he's a Galilean fisherman, and it seems that in my mind, when I think about a like a commercial fisherman, I think of you know, like the perfect storm kind of guys, and they didn't seem to be real reverent guys. Uh, they, they seem to be rough and tumble and a lot of profanity and not a lot of love for God. But, but these fishermen, they're, they're, they're not cast in that mold. They're actually ordinary guys that uh, were devout Jews, and it really hit me when we're traveling through Acts, and we read about Peter, who was a fisherman like John, same Sea of Galilee, and, and God is giving him Jesus is giving him this vision of this cloth filled with these unclean animals, and Jesus says, "Go ahead and eat." And he says, I, I have never I have never, ever broken kosher laws." That's really telling us that Peter and I would assume it's my—they're they're devout Jews. I mean, they—they they live according to the old covenant. They—they they follow the rules. That—that's who they are. So, when Jesus comes along and says, "Follow me," and John leaves his fishing business and he leaves his father and he begins to follow Jesus. What's happening in his life is he's changing his mind. And I'm not, I don't think it just happened in an, in an instant. I think it took the three years of being with Jesus that his mind, there was something intriguing about the invitation. It was something intriguing about that initial conversation with Jesus. But by, by the end of it, what John and the rest of the apostles know, they know that Jesus is the king that was promised by the Old Testament prophets. They know without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who fulfills the promises that God made to the planet, not just to Israel. God made the promise of a Messiah known to the planet, to all of humanity. And they know Jesus to be the fulfillment of those prophecies. He is the Messiah. He is the King. And when the King comes, His kingdom comes. And so He's changed His mind also about what it meant for the kingdom to come. He now knows that with the King, Jesus, His kingdom has come and is coming and what he's changed his mind about is really what he was brought up with. In Judaism, Judaism had, had expectation of Messiah, had expectation of a king and his kingdom coming. And what James and John and the rest of these guys and those that followed Jesus, they, they, they changed their mind about what Messiah would look like what Messiah would do, what this king would be, and, and what his kingdom would start out as. They've changed their mind. I would, I would want to just keep reminding us as a community, these guys aren't converting from one religion to the other religion. would remind us there's not another religion. He's a Jew that remains a Jew, but he's a Jew that's now following Jesus, having changed not religion, but changed his mind about the king and his kingdom, and when he begins this account of his years with Jesus, he he, he begins to write about the word, the logos, and maybe most of us you know are really we might be really familiar. we've read this passage again and again and again, and we may have heard many Bible studies about this, but but when you back up and you look at Logos, just kind of in its Greek setting, in its Hellenistic word setting, I mean, it is a philosophically packed, full of meaning term to the Greek and the Hellenistic world. I mean, it is a word that ta- it's about speech and language. It's about metaphysics, the principle of law. Discovered in calculations, it has to do with mathematics, the rational relation of things to one another, ratio, the man's ability to think. So, logos is, is a very common word in Aristotle and the rest of the philosophers in the Greek world. It's really a big word. It's a buzzword. But as you look at that word and you think of its like Greek and Hellenistic setting... I would want to bring us back to... But wait a minute. John's a fisherman. He's not a philosopher. I doubt that John read Aristotle or Plato or Socrates. He he's His primary language is Hebrew and Aramaic. He's an Israelite. He's a Jew. And it's not that he won't have encounters with the Greek world, but up to this point... He's not been having encounters with the Greek world. He's, he's really been trying, as other Jews, to insulate themselves. So I found these quotes maybe to be a little bit more helpful as we try to understand what, what is, what's the meaning? Why does he use logos? No matter how we construe it as used by the Greeks, logos stands in contrast To the word of the Old Testament and the New Testament. From the very first, the New Testament logos concept is alien to Greek thought. So when John uses logos, the word, he's not using it in the same way that it's used in the bigger Greek and Hellenistic world. He's drawing something out of the Old Testament. And out of the New Testament, which is not Hellenized, it's not Greek, it's Hebrew, it's Aramaic, it's Jewish. So what is it that John's trying to communicate to us? Here's something to ponder. Don't get lost. There's just some some things in this quote that I think might be helpful. New Testament thinking, including... Johannine, that would be the, John's thinking, how we try to understand what John is saying, has no primary interest in a world of reason or a semi-divine intermediate being, the Logos, which it is essential to describe, and which, among other things, entered one day into a person of an earthly man. New Testament thinking, John has no interest in ideas... Not even theological ideas. New Testament thinking, John's thinking, its sole concern is what has taken place in the person of Jesus. John is not a philosopher. Now, I know when his gospel, which was finished by the first century, got out to the Hellenized world there would have been a lot of conversation about, well, what does he mean by that? Does he mean the same thing that Aristotle and Plato and Socrates mean? There would have been great conversation about I mean, it had impact in that Hellenized world. But when you try to get back into the intent of John, he's he's, he's not interested in philosophy. He's not interested in the world of reason. He's not interested in these theories that there's this eternal thing called logos and that eternal thing somehow entered this earthly man Jesus and then he became the Christ he's not no he's not interested in that kind of speculation that kind of thinking he's not interested he's not even thinking about messianic fulfillments or torological that would be torah the fulfillment of the torah he's not thinking about ideas He's not thinking about a concept. What John is trying to communicate to you and me. What just happened here? Who is this guy? This historical event happened and I still don't know what to do with it. And the best I can do is I'm going to try, I'm going to, try to take this person... And this event, and I'm gonna try to place it within an eternal framework. And that's what he's trying to communicate to you and me. He's trying to tell us about a person, not an idea, not a concept, not even a fulfillment of prophecy. He's trying to tell us about Jesus, the person, the pre existence through revelation. John and the rest, you know, Jesus goes way beyond his appearance here on the earth and even his death after 33 years. The preexistence of the Logos is, in fact, the preexistence of Christ. Anytime you see Christ, when you say Christ, you're speaking Greek. The Hebrew equivalent of Christ is Messiah. So when you say Messiah, you're speaking Hebrew. You didn't know you were trilingual, did you? And when when you're saying Messiah, according to the New Testament, it's Jesus. Jesus, there is no doubt of those that follow Jesus that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. And what John is trying to say is he showed up, but there's something about him that existed before everything. So what John is trying to communicate to us is he's trying to tell us about the person of Jesus. And he's trying to tell us three things. Jesus predates time and creation. You know, if he was here with us, he'd say, yeah I, "Yeah, I know, I know, I know." He was, you know, he was born. There was a baby. I saw the baby. I mean, I I know. I heard about that baby. I know. I met this young guy. I know. I know. I know. He had a beginning here on the earth, but that wasn't his beginning. Before the beginning began, the Word, Logos, Jesus, was already in existence. So an eternal. Person showed up on the planet in the history of humanity. Someone eternal came and visited us. And he's distinct from God. Did you, did you pick that up? He's close beside God. He's with God. John is saying to us, all of my life as a Jew, I know there's been one God But I now know that that one God has revealed Himself in three persons. There is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. And Jesus in eternity is distinct from the Father. He's distinct from the Holy Spirit. There's three persons, not one. God didn't take on another form and become Jesus. While Jesus was on the planet, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are still around. There's three Three persons, one God. He's trying to communicate that to us. And the last thing he's saying is Jesus is divine. Jesus is deity. There's been no one like Jesus that has walked on the planet. And the tension for John as he's communicating what is just blowing his circuitry and I would pray it would blow. I mean, these are easy things to say. These are these are easy things to kind of roll off your tongue. But would you like to stop for a moment? Pinch your neighbor. Good job. <laughs> how can this be? I mean, how how can a baby be born and yet that baby Already been born. Not even born. He like existed for... How, how does that happen? Jesus had no beginning. He has no end. And yet He shows up on the planet. How can God... I mean, no one can... How can God be one but be three persons? How, no one can explain that. We don't have an explanation. We can think of clever analogies. but we, we, It's beyond us. But again, I would go back. John doesn't have to be rational. He's writing about something that is beyond man's reason. He's talking about a divine event. God can break all the rules. And he did. Then how do we communicate that to one another? And then how does that soak in? So that's John's doing that. And then the tension that he's really, I think the tension that he's really struggling with It's really the tension between who is our God. Because as a Jew who would have regularly attended synagogue at a time where the rabbis are writing a lot about what does Torah mean and what is the messianic expectation of Torah and what would the kingdom of God be from Torah, he realizes that in the speculations of the rabbis everything that he says about Jesus the rabbis say about the Torah. The Torah is the first 5 books of the Bible, but when but when the Jew mentions Torah it's not just those first 5 books, it's the whole event of God giving those first 5 books. And then the interpretation of those five books by the rabbis, the taking of those laws and then communicating them into what God wants us to do. So the rabbis, in their writings, would say Torah was in the beginning, Torah was with God, Torah was God, Torah was divine. All things were made by Torah. In Torah was life. Torah was the light of men. And as a Jew, changing his mind about Jesus, John is saying, oh my, there is something better for me as a Jew Than Torah. He realizes that Christ, Messiah, Jesus, Jesus, not Torah, was in the beginning. Jesus was with God. Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Not Torah. It's Jesus. All things were made by Jesus. In Jesus was life. Jesus. Was the light of man. It's Jesus. It's not Torah. Christ is not just a teacher and a transmitter of Torah. Remember Moses? You know, Moses went up the mountain and Moses received the Torah, the law from God. And then Moses transmitted those tablets, that law to the people of Israel. Remember that? Jesus is not that. Jesus himself is the Torah. He's the new Torah. Mosaicism, that would be. Moses, the giving of the law, the old covenant, which was provisional and intermediary, has passed. John's trying to communicate to us. A new Torah has come. And that new Torah replaces the old Torah. In the person and event of Jesus Christ, traditional religious values are present in a new and personal way. Something new, something personal, Something better has come to humanity. It's come to the Jew, and then it's going to go to the Gentile. It's going to go to the Jew. It's going to go to everybody. Something new God has communicated. The old is past, and the new has come. Now, as I think about that, and I think about you and I grappling with the same kind of words, these are the things that I think. Would be impressed upon us as we try to just kind of live out what what is it? What are you communicating to us? John, but ultimately, Holy Spirit. The first thing is you must not have any other God but me. You must not have any other God but me. It is a person, God the person, said that. That command was written down, but God never intended that what he had humanity write down, he never intended that that written word would be a substitute for him. This is a great book, but this book is not God. This book tells us about God, We can can learn about God, but if we start worshiping this book, then we have another God. Tragically, in the history of Israel, they begin to worship Torah and not the giver of Torah. And tragically, tragically, They were so blinded by worshiping Torah that when the new Torah came, they did not recognize the Messiah. My friends, you and I are just like other people on the planet. What happened within Jewish history, while it's unique, is not that different than you and me. You see, you and I, we can worship this book. We can worship the dogma of our particular church. We can even, as, as great as the vineyard values are, we can worship vineyard values. And when we do that, we're worshiping a concept, and we have another God. The coming of Jesus is a reminder that God is a person. And he and he alone is to be the center of our worship. Our faith is in the person of Jesus who stepped out of eternity into time, inviting us to follow him, not just memorize precepts, Jesus did not show up in John's life and say, Hey, John, I want you to memorize this, and then next week we'll review it. Jesus walked right up to John and said, Hey, John, follow me. Follow me. And John did. And when John started following Jesus, he realized, Oh, my, I had another God was another God in my life. And I've just had an encounter with the person of God. My friends, are we here this morning because our God is going to church? Our God is going to meetings where there's worship songs and there's Bible study? Is our God good coffee and good food? Friendship? Are we here today because we worship the person? Our God is a person who's made himself known. And yeah, it's great to memorize the precepts, but it's even better to follow the person. Are we following the person, Jesus? His invitation is the same. Follow me. Follow me. Last See what I think. What what John, what what John is is trying to communicate, and what what other kind of word book studies are trying to say, is John is just still grappling with what has happened, what just took place. I mean it. I mean I met him. I know I'm writing about him, and I can't even you know I can't write. I mean the the world couldn't hold everything that. I could write about Jesus, but he's still reeling from this event. God became a man. The Word became flesh. And what John is not recovered from, we saw him. We heard him. We touched him. We experienced God in our lives. Are we still reeling from the entrance of God into time and space? I I can't explain it. I can't reason. I mean, if it doesn't seem rational to you, it's not. But I, but I do experience Him. I still hear Jesus say, "Follow me." When we're worshiping, I'm not—I'm not—I'm not caught up in the music or the lyrics. There's a person I'm worshiping—a person, a person. His name's Jesus. May this season—I mean, I hope every year that I'm alive on the planet that every year I'm just knocked off balance by just this. The Word became flesh and dwelt here on the earth among people just like you and me and revealed to us who God is and what life is meant to be. May that knock us off balance. Would you like to stand with me? This is a great time for each of us, and then all of us as a community of people, to renew our relationship with Jesus. I don't get to see Matthew very much. We kind of have these just short encounters, you know, he kind of comes in and out this and that. So we haven't really grown to know each other very much. But really all it would all it would take is hey, let's have coffee together. Let's sit down and let's visit with one another. You know, you know how that works with us? It's the same thing with Jesus. Hey Jesus. I've gotten so busy with everybody else, I've I've not been hanging out with you. Hey, Jesus, I've gotten caught up in the dogma. Hey, Jesus, I've gotten caught up in trying to argue about truth, and I haven't been spending time with you, and you are the truth. Hello? Jesus, as I've argued about the truth, I've really portrayed a very ugly picture about who you are. I don't want to do that anymore. Because you never did that. Somehow you could disagree with people and people walked away knowing that they were loved. And you never compromised the truth. That comes from knowing Jesus. So do we have any other God? This is a day to say, Oh, man, I have one God. And my God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit revealed in time and space through Jesus. So, Would you just take a moment? Holy Spirit, would you help us? It's easy to get blind. It's easy. Oh, way too easy to be deceived. Holy Spirit, come. We're people like John. We're fishermen. We're just common folk. We're just laborers. We're students. We have a faith. Sometimes we get caught up in the ritual of that faith. Sometimes we get caught up in the rules of that faith. Sometimes in being ritualistic and rule keepers, we make the rule our God rather than the one that we're meant to know and to love. Jesus, you made yourself known to us. I ask Holy Spirit that you would help each of us and we as a community as well to have no other God but you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to renew relationship with Jesus. That what you've invited us to do is to follow the person of Jesus, not the precepts of Jesus, the person. This is so personal, Jesus. You've made it so personal. So this, in this Advent season, in this time of, of preparation to celebrate your coming, renew our relationship, our personal connection to you. Renew our corporate connection to you. That when we gather together to share coffee and snacks, visiting, worship, teaching, that we would know that we know that Jesus, you are the focus. You are our God. You are the one that we worship. Thank you for becoming a man, for entering into time and space. In your name, amen.